0: Welcome data people. We are Zuma. My name is Matt and this is the Data for Good podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Zuma. Zuma is a dedicated recruitment company focusing on data positions across Berlin. The Data for Good podcast is for the world of data science, analytics and engineering, giving you a platform to hear the thoughts and opinions of data leaders from Berlin and beyond. Today we are joined by Alex Fedorov, Head of Engineering at Ride Capital. Alex, welcome. How are you? Thank you, Matt. Thank you. I'm doing well. Amazing. It's uh, great to have you join us. For those who who don't know yourself or aren't aware of Ride Capital, can you give us a a quick introduction?
1: Yes, of course. Uh, I'm I'm happy to. So my name is Alex, as you already heard. I am head of engineering at Ride Capital, and I've essentially started uh, almost from the day one as the first employee of the company and built uh, the full engineering discipline here. Additionally, besides that, I've uh, been in the industry for quite a while with uh, almost 15 years of professional experience. Uh, and before that, I've uh, been for nine years in uh, competitive programming, which was a lot of fun. Nice. Um, additionally, for the past seven years, I've been thinking a lot about software engineering, how to do better. So I wrote a book about this. You can, you can find me on the Internet and see what that is about. Awesome. So for the listeners who do want to check that out, what, what should they be searching? What's the, what's the name of the book? Uh the book is called 10X Software Engineering Delivery.
0: Okay. Well, while
1: we're here, do you want to give us a a quick little plug? Uh that that's fine. I mean it says what it is. It's it's about how can we uh, get into world of delivering 10x amounts of business value through software engineering.
0: Amazing. So yeah, if you wanna, if you're in, if you're curious, then you'll know what to search. And of course, uh, reach out to Alex as well. Um, so we're gonna tap into that wisdom uh, today. Now we're here to talk about closing the skills gap, um, in data, with software engineering, but also vice versa. So to start off, what, what do we mean by this when we're closing the skills gap?
1: Well, let me let me start and open on uh, this topic. So obviously when uh, software engineers try to uh, work on anything that's data related, um, they would approach this from their perspective, from the perspective of building uh, software in in sort of a business domain, business logic kind of approach, uh, which usually isn't what you want to have in your data warehouse or in your data pipelines or in, in analysis. It's not the same shape of data. It's not uh, the same way it looks like. It's uh, some of the principles are not the same. And additionally, there is as well um, knowledge and skill gap. From that the other perspective is that when um, uh, experienced data engineers and data analysts work with the data and work and build essentially build software, so data warehouses, what other data software, uh, mm-hmm. they they have things that they can learn from software and engineering as well, how to build more resilient systems that uh, have less regressions less bugs and so on okay so so what are the benefits of this the benefits of uh, that skill skill exchange essentially well the benefits from one side is that um software engineers who uh, have been working with data warehouses before and with data engineers they of course will build um systems in the future in, in a better way that is more adaptable and more uh, ha- have better interface to data warehouses, mm-hmm. and uh, which would make the systems more accessible. The data of the systems more available to the business uh, in-, in the long run. On the other hand, um, when uh, data engineers, data analysts learn from software engineering how to do in- uh, software engineering better, they- then the maintenance costs, for example, of-, of the data warehouses will be reduced because it'll have less bugs, less regressions. Uh, making changes in data warehousing logic will be easier and faster. Mm-hmm. Sounds like a lot, a lot of positives.
0: What what challenges might there be, or what should we be cautious of ah. when when introducing a software developer into a data ecosystem?
1: Well, what we should be conscious of is if people don't want to collaborate much or learn from each other. So mm-hmm. that's that's definitely a risk. Uh, because if somebody, let's say, wants to just uh, do, do the work and make it done and make it work um, without collaborating too much with another discipline, then what will happen is that you will not gain these benefits or will gain only uh, them only partially. And potentially, there will be even uh, damaging factors. For example, if software engineer without any interaction with data engineer, somebody who has such experience, um, built a data warehouse, they're probably not going to build it correctly. They're probably going to build very inflexible data warehouse and then mm-hmm. later down the line will need to be either majorly uh, refactored or rebuilt from scratch. Yeah.
0: So where in the journey would you do you think it's most valuable to introduce a software engineer into a, uh, a data ecosystem or if there is no talent
1: out there that we can find, what how do we take that? That' step? Well, well, I mean, um i'm I'm assuming it's probably not always the case, but most of the times in the organization, you would have uh, data engineers, data analysts, and software engineers and product managers, and these kind of two worlds, I think, need to work close with each other when when they uh, build things together. So what do I mean by this? Um, let's say that um, some, new data point or uh, essentially a new model needs to be created in data warehouse of course the um, data engineers and analysts can um, just do it on their own figure out what 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 is the model looks like from software engineering site and uh, kind of ingest it and then perform analysis on it after all the transformations that they need to do mm-hmm. or they can do it together so instead of um, doing it asynchronously, they can work together with software engineer or, or a couple of engineers and and perform this task together. When they perform this task together, what happens is that engineers learn about how to deal with data better in a better way, and at the same time, uh, they sh- they share their knowledge and observations and why they did certain things in certain ways um, with the data engineers. So there's a like sort of an exchange of uh, knowledge. And uh, data engineers become a little bit more like software engineers, software engineers become a little bit more like data engineers, and they are able to also uh, use these different tools in different contexts. I can give you a very particular example of um, such two very different, very, very, very different uh, ways to approach mm-hmm. data uh, yeah. between software engineering and, and data engineering. Um, so software engineers uh, have this principle called YAGNI. It's called. It means you aren't going to need it. Uh, and when applied in software engineering databases, it works quite well because you don't create data points or fields or uh, that you probably not going to need because it's yeah. going to be wasted and they need to be maintained and so on. So it, it, it's a very helpful in software engineering. However, um, in data engineering, actually the opposite rule or opposite principle often applies. I don't mean always, but often applies. Different principle yeah. called we co- we called it um, <laughs> because we software engineers here at Ride worked with data engineers. So we kind of tried to express these ideas better. You know, we have yeah. the word yagni, uh, but the word on the other side did not exist. So so we invented it. We call it yagnia, which okay. it, which means uh, opposite to you aren't going to need it. It actually says you are going to need it all. Okay. So essentially, um, when when you look in data engineering and build data warehouses, what you end up uh, building very often is not minimal tiny models where you just have what you need right now. You actually go much wider and you include much, much more data points that you might need at any point Mm -hmm. in time in the future. Um, Of course, uh structurally the warehouse still needs to be Yagni. so you don't yeah. need to introduce layers that you don't need yet because that will increase complexity but in terms of data points you essentially try to have as much ma- as, ma- as many as you can because they will come uh, and will become useful and you don't know how yet
0: so it sounds like you've had success in merging these two domains um
1: as yeah, we, we are now, we now are, uh, and by the way, and just to tell you about the skill kind yeah. of um, interaction is that uh, so software engineers now actually, after interacting with, with data engineering, are thinking now in terms of is YAGNI applicable here or YAGNI applicable here. Just to give you an example, um, in the past, when we would send some data into third party system, like for some kind of synchronization purpose. Because another team, for example, needed to use the data in that other system, for example, CRM. Yeah. We would in the past uh, apply the Agni principle and just send what is today necessary. Uh, but then every time, of course, the the, the users of the CRM system needed more data, we would have to implement more and more and more information, uh, which is a lot of going back and forth and reloading the context and so on. Not, not a very effective way to do this, but it kind of works. Uh, but now we approach this kind of um, this kind of problem as in so even in software engineering, because mm-hmm. it actually is more helpful to give more data than less. It, of course, um, there are exceptions like compliance and some yeah. some data we cannot uh, synchronize. But besides these, the more the more data, the better.
0: So, as a, as a manager and overseeing this kind of joining of cultures, I guess what. What would you advise someone who's starting that journey or is beginning to consider that? What to keep an eye out for? What lessons did you learn that you wish you knew back
1: then? Well, I mean, I think, I think that the cross-functional um, kind of team uh, approach applies here very well. So, you know, Mm -hmm. like classical cross-functional team, you would just think, oh, yeah, I have my product manager, designer, and developers, maybe some QA, maybe different kinds of developers, front-end, back-end. However, I think that it's very useful, if you can, of course, if you have the resources and people, is to have teams include um, data engineering as well, Mm -hmm. or data analysts, uh, because then uh, they can contribute to development of the whole features and epics, even uh, even in their infancy in the, in the first stages, they can imagine that you, if you didn't have to, after the development team has already implemented something, and later you remember, oh, oh, we need to also have this in data warehouse so that we can uh, build uh, gain gain insights from there you know in our, in our uh, business intelligence systems. Mm-hmm. Instead, you actually build that in as the features are being developed. Uh, I think that this uh, type of cross-functional team approach should include data as well. That's that's my learning.
0: What, what do you think the reluctance has been to include data previously?
1: Well, I think because it's always treated as a separate team or separate even sometimes even arm of the organization mm-hmm. where you would have, depending on size of organization, you might you might have CTO and then you would have uh, team of developers or teams of developers and then there's a separate team for data with the data analyst that engineers or analytics engineers um however i think that approach is probably a little bit flawed because the, the closer they work work with each other the more effective they become at least mm-hmm. that's my experience so far it yeah. re- does require a little bit more of um col- collabor- collaborative culture of course like without collaboration, it's not going to be more efficient. So there's no point. Uh, however, if you if you if you can uh, have a collaborative culture, then there is a sense in doing this. There is probably another um, interesting point because um, you know there, there is usually more software engineers and uh, teams that are bigger teams than um, than than data teams um, is because. Um, I don't know, because of the, the the market, the job market, but also demand. So amount of work that needs to be done by software yeah. engineers, there's much more stuff to do, more features to develop, more applications, products to launch, et cetera. Um, and the, the amount of data work that needs to be done on top of that, at least initially, right, uh, in initial stages of the organization and product, product is not as much as the feature. Development. So this is also yeah. probably why there's some supply and demand, Um factor to this so that sometimes if you just have maybe two data persons in the whole organization just because that's the amount of work that they need to do and because of how many of you of them you can actually find on the market um then it makes sense to put them in a single team just for efficiency sake of course so that's another driving factor um however uh, maybe that that needs to be challenged because maybe that efficiency gain uh can be overshadowed by collaborative gains from Mm -hmm. cross-functional teaming so maybe if you don't have enough people in data they can be a kind of uh, like traveling team members where for a quarter they spend time with one team and another quarter they spend time with another team so you could do things like that as well
0: Mm -hmm. how motivating or do you think a lot of people would be interested in in that type of work from data, moving from team to team? Do you reckon it would have to be a certain type of person or is that the evolution of a data specialist? How do you see it?
1: Well, it, it depends. Uh, I think it is uh, not a special type of person. It's just a type of person. The, the, these types already exist um, mm-hmm. because you have... Uh, like and then like a really data engineer who wants to build uh warehouses and build yeah. uh, layers of architecture and data processing may, maybe to also and advanced ml and so, so they are interested in technology more mm-hmm. and then there is maybe like a data scientist or data or or data analyst who, yes, they can do the technology, but they're actually more interested in business and people and so on, and figuring out how to make that work, how to deliver business value. So obviously the person who is more interested in people uh, will be more interested and more um, suitable for this cross-team collaboration um, initiatives. Uh, However, um, my personal belief is that even the person who is more interested in technology um, still would benefit from... Exposing themselves more to uh, cross, um, uh, sort of sort of cross-functional collaboration, because they, they can learn from it and improve their their craft and their skills.
0: So domain knowledge,
1: uh, how important is this? Domain knowledge, well, domain knowledge, in what what do you mean by domain? I mean specific company business domain, or do you mean domain knowledge of technology or you're talking about
0: yeah so if um a data person is getting into various teams and and moving across is that early company early stage companies that you have to be a generalist and then they evolve into a domain specialist
1: where do you see it i see i see so um, obviously it's very similar in startups and also in and engineers and other roles Um, In a company that is smaller, um, pretty much everybody has to be somewhat generalist, if not entirely generalist. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then only little special skills are actually required in smaller organizations and startups. Um, And even then, if you're a specialist, you're still sort of expected to have shallow knowledge of other things and interact in other domains. Um, And then as the company grows, you... Don't have the problem anymore that people need to jump, because if if the company is larger, yeah. then it can actually afford to have uh, maybe one data engineer or one data analyst per each team per each like mm-hmm. feature team or yeah. domain specific team. It probably can afford that actually.
0: Do you think it will remain that way? Do you think a generalist, if if you were to set out your career now? Mm-hmm. knowing what you know now and having a bit of an idea of the future would you advise picking a domain and becoming a specialist with the entry levels technologies being easier or do you think it is still wise to be a generalist and cover as many areas as you can
1: i think uh, both work actually mm-hmm. I'll, I'll explain to you how in what way um don't, don't think that you can't do you can be really in the middle. Like you have to at least in the beginning of career to commit to either be a specialist in one thing and one domain. Yeah. And then that uh, accelerates your career in that domain and the specialty, of course. And then later you add more other skills and more other domains on your yes. in your general toolbox and tool set. So you become more versatile and then you have more choices and you have and you can contribute at multiple levels. Like you can mm-hmm. essentially and then eventually, you know, you can become either yourself your own entrepreneur or go into management and do other things because understanding of more than just one specialty is required to do these things um, or there's another way which you start as a generalist so yeah. you can do a little bit of that a little bit of this a little bit of this domain you know a little bit of this so you have this general knowledge which means that uh, you'll probably be a good communicator as well well that's required because in order to make use of all this general knowledge of different domains and different specialties and technologies, uh, you would need to work with other people to make things happen. Uh, So it's also communication skill is required. And then you can start your career like this as well, because then uh, you might be a data engineer, data analyst, but also you'll probably be part-time in as a product manager or something like Mm -hmm. this as well. Um, And essentially making everybody work together achieve bigger goals, big, bigger targets of the organization. And that's also very valuable for the career because then Mm -hmm. uh, you're more likely to have uh, bigger achievements under your belt in in the, so so to speak, in your CV, right? And then after that, once you have all of these generalists, you can also decide to deepen specialty in one or two or three subjects. Mm -hmm. And also you can decide to uh, focus on one of the business domains. So to give you an example, I've um, always been a generalist myself as a as yeah. a, a as an engineer, then later as a manager. So I I can do whatever is necessary to be done. Of course, so this is a very nice skill to have because it allows me to go wide and figure figure stuff out. However, I do uh, have few things that I, I also specialized on later. Um, in in my particular case, uh, I I specialized on testing and test driven development. Mm-hmm. Um, besides being you know generalist programmer who can do everything I I'm really good at making sure that uh, applications are very well tested yeah and and also that it's systematically they the keep being well tested and uh, don't break um and then later on as well uh somewhere around the time when I, when I joined Ride a little bit later I realized I really love uh, financial technology mm-hmm. so I'm also specialized now and'll keep that specialty in the domain of financial technology
0: amazing so to, to have a, a use case within data you've you've um, developed yourself as a software developer uh, as a generalist and then you end up being asked to build a data infrastructure as a yeah. software developer
1: yeah so tell us, so tell us about this I, I can tell you a little bit more about this. So, um, I mean, in this case, uh, I didn't do this as a software job. I had this as a head of engineering, of course. Uh, but I did this um, at at right in particular. I developed mm-hmm. a data warehouse. Uh, however, I did this with uh, uh with some help. But I didn't do this so alone, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, so the way it worked is that we had um, we have hired a consultant who has like deep knowledge of how to build a data warehouse, and he consulted with us, and he essentially. Um, helped us build the first version. We mm-hmm. provided uh, like um, business domain knowledge yeah. of what we have, what we want, what's this is all about, and they provided uh, the technology, good technology choices and good uh, good like initial version one structure of how to mm-hmm. build this. So and we had like a pilot for one of the business cases, and then later on, or are you without this uh, consultant? Um, we decided to become much, much more data driven company. Well, we had the decision before, but now we started executing this seriously. So mm-hmm. I built uh, a team. And that team was very interesting because that team uh in this case did not have uh, data engineers. It was constructed only from software engineers right because the the data engineer, that analyst that we hired uh, still had uh, two months before they join so we were still waiting for them but we already wanted to get the head start and we had a, a good you know blueprint of how how to do this with what uh, has been provided to us by by the consultant and we kind of understood the model and we were replicating this but this is where we of course learned some things that's where we learned, learned yagni versus yagnia in the process mm-hmm. this is also uh, where as, as software engineers in that team you um, we have started thinking okay cool so this structure makes sense this architecture makes sense how do we make sure that this doesn't break because uh, you know in software engineering we always are trying to make sure that okay we can deliver yeah. our changes to production system and go to sleep uh, at night and not worry that something will break right so that's that's an important thing for us so and and at this point we struggled a little bit with this because there are no natural tools to do testing and ensuring that the software is back-free besides you know, just deploying the new version of your warehouse yeah. and seeing that there, nothing broke. It's a very manual process. So our first iteration of this was um, yeah, essentially just uh, because the whole warehouse, is a, it's a DBT warehouse. So it has these layers with, with queries. So there are reporting queries that get uh, materialized as tables. There are... Um, Staging uh, queries that get materialized uh, tables or a snapshot layer as well. And there's a source layer that gets ingested from the, from a the data lake. And we thought, well, if it's all queries through and through that get materialized, uh, what about, what if we wrote queries that would um, look at the data as as was imported by a reporting query, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there is a reporting layer, there is a table with data, and we would have another query, we call it validation query, that mm-hmm. would do some analysis on that query to verify that uh, there are no problems in it, like it's as we expect. Yeah. So there was like a version one of this, and we ran it manually. We ran this query manually, and it relied on us knowing what data we expect to get. And the interesting thing about this, as you know, every, every month we had to update these validation queries because they actually were running against real. They were having expectations of production. data, like, for example, number of new customers, right? They yeah. expected that this month and this month and this month we should have this, uh, and then it uh, it's split by every product that we have. And once new months appears, we should expect another entry. But obviously, we had to update the validation query. That was sort of manual process, and it essentially did not it helped us with feedback, immediate feedback cycle, whether we are making a mistake or we're doing the right thing mm-hmm. uh, during the development, but didn't help us later in production by saying, is this still correct or not? Because whenever we wanted to ask this question, we would have to update that validation first, very manually and then run it manually. So it's not quite to the same level as we have in software engineering, where we have continuous mm-hmm. integration process where, everything just gets tested automatically. And we either have a green sign or red sign, whether it works or doesn't, like it's binary. There's no, there's a manual involvement. You just know. Um, So what we, and the way that we evolve evolve this later is by um, studying out the source layer. So we actually had two jobs in our um, DBT system. One is a deployment job, which actually deploys Mm -hmm. the warehouse, real warehouse using real data. And there's another job which uh, essentially substitutes the source layer. Instead of real source layer with real data, it provides uh, like a fake source with fake yeah. data that is static, mm-hmm. doesn't change. And oh. then it runs the whole warehouse on top of this. And then we just verify that uh, the, re- the reporting queries and entity co- entity queries produce the right results. Hmm. And that is now automated and now automatable. And it really shows you either green or red either it works or doesn't. And now we, every time we make a change to our Delaware house, uh, these tests run in, in a separate job. Um, and we know if we broke something or not, that's that we haven't supposed to be changed. And this really allows us to uh, as well, sleep well at night.
0: So many things that the data can can learn from software best practices. Is there any others that are evident that are, able to be implemented, uh, scalable, sustainable in a data environment?
1: I think these are the two main ones. So, uh, Yagnya, which software learns from uh, from data, and then um, Testability, which data learned from software. You know, if we talk about this six months from now, maybe I'll have a couple more for you. But this is so far our main major learnings.
0: Amazing. I mean, oh, we could carry on for for much longer talking about this. Um, I'm conscious of time. so mm-hmm. let's let's finish with, with one final question. So best practices, high quality, what's the number one thing that we should be considering as data professionals that we've learned from software developers moving forward?
1: that's a good question so I think it's um it is uh it is probably quality that would be the one that I would choose um because um um as, as in software engineering uh industry we have you know we put a lot of focus on uh quality and naming of things on consistency as well uh, by quality, I mean not so much quality of the data because quality of the data obviously should be because if data is low quality, then it's not very valuable. So that that's, of course, is an ultimate requirement. However, what I'm talking about is the quality of uh, the code and the queries, mm-hmm. how easy are they to understand and read and work with because uh, what often happens is that uh, you need to return to some query uh, or some some code that in in your, one of your data layers from three months ago or six months ago, and um, it's very difficult to understand because it might be very complex or it might use uh, unobvious names like uh, single letter names instead of proper full names like words. So I think that level of readability and understandability is important, um, and of course then. Uh, you know the testability as well because it it's it really it's really really good feeling when you make changes and you can tell whether it works or not in a couple of seconds yeah instead of uh having to to worry that you're missing something that you that it it kind of works but you're not 100 percent sure it will work entirely
0: Absolutely, so much to learn. I mean, software. I mean, data has been around a long time. Software best best practices probably a little bit longer, and there's so much more to to bring into the workflow. But unfortunately, that is all.
1: Is you, have you got a final point you want to make? There? I, I I I want to add something on this. Um, so I think yes, um, we have to learn from data. Data can learn from us. However, we need to remember that we're all in the end programmers. We are we are one and the same. And we should remember our roots and l- keep learning from each other and keep innovating and making, f- uh, uh, finding better ways to do things. Absolutely. Very well articulated and uh, a great, <laughs>
0: a great point to finish on because unfortunately that is all we have time for today. But thank you very much for your time uh, and your rich insights, Alex. Thank you, Matt. And uh, yeah, to the listeners, always uh, don't forget to like and share so we can reach uh, as many people as possible. Invaluable insights from Alex today, but it is bye for us. Thanks once again, Alex. Thank you, Matt. Bye-bye. Ciao for now.